0: section ten of the singing bone or the adventures of dr thorndyke by r austin freeman this LibriVox recording is in the public domain the old lag part two the ship of the desert the case which i am now about to describe has always appeared to me a singularly instructive one as illustrating the value and importance of that fundamental rule in the carrying out of investigations which thorndyke had laid down so emphatically the rule that all facts in any way relating to a case should be collected impartially and without reference to any theory, and each fact, no matter how trivial or apparently irrelevant, carefully studied. But I must not anticipate the remarks of my learned and talented friend on this subject, which I have to chronicle anon. Rather, let me proceed to the case itself. I had slept at our chambers in King's Bench Walk, as I commonly did, two or three nights a week, and on coming down to the sitting room found Thorndyke's man, Polton, putting the last touches to the breakfast table, while Thorndyke himself was poring over two photographs of fingerprints. Of which he seemed to be taking elaborate measurements with a pair of hair dividers he greeted me with his quiet genial smile and laying down the dividers took his seat at the breakfast table you are coming with me this morning i suppose said he the camberwell murder case you know of course i am if you'll have me but i know practically nothing of the case could you give me an outline of the facts that are known thorndyke looked at me solemnly but with a mischievous twinkle this he said is the old story of the fox and the crow you bid me discourse and while i enchant thine ear you claw to windward with the broiled ham a deep-laid plot my learned brother and such i exclaimed is the result of contact with the criminal classes i am sorry that you regard yourself in the light he retorted with a malicious smile however with regard to this case the facts are briefly these the murdered man caldwell who seems to have been formerly a receiver of stolen goods and probably a police spy as well lived a solitary life in a small house with only an elderly woman to attend him a week ago this woman went to visit a married daughter and stayed the night with her leaving caldwell alone in the house when she returned on the following morning she found her master lying dead on the floor of his office or study in a small pool of blood the police surgeon found that he had been dead about twelve hours he had been killed by a single blow struck from behind with some heavy implement and a jemmy which lay on the floor beside him fitted the wound exactly the deceased wore a dressing gown and no collar And a bedroom candlestick lay upside down on the floor, though gas was laid on in the room. And as the window of the office appears to have been forced with the jemmy that was found, and there were distinct footprints on the flower bed outside the window, the police think that the deceased was undressing to go to bed when he was disturbed by the noise of the opening window. That he went down to the office, and as he entered, was struck down by the burglar who was lurking behind the door. On the window glass, the police found the greasy impression of an open right hand, and as you know, The fingerprints were identified by the experts as those of an old convict named Belfield. As you also know, I proved that those fingerprints were in reality forgeries, executed with rubber or gelatine stamps. That is an outline of the case. The close of this recital brought our meal to an end, and we prepared for our visit to the scene of the crime. Thorndyke slipped into his pocket his queer outfit, somewhat like that of a field geologist, locked up the photographs, and we set forth by way of the embankment the police have no clue i suppose to the identity of the murderer now that the fingerprints have failed i asked as we strode along together i expect not he replied though they might have if they examined their material i made out a rather interesting point this morning which is this the man who made those sham fingerprints used two stamps one for the thumb and the other for the four fingers and the original from which those stamps were made was the official fingerprint form how did you discover that i inquired it was very simple Remember that Mr. Singleton of the Fingerprint Department sent me by Superintendent Miller two photographs, one of the prints on the window and one of the official form with Belfield's fingerprints on it. Well, I have compared them and made the most minute measurements of each, and they are obviously duplicates. Not only are all the little imperfections on the form, due to defective inking, reproduced faithfully on the window pane, but the relative positions of the four fingers on both cases agree to the hundredth of an inch. Of course the thumb stamp was made by taking an oval out of the rolled impression on the form. Then do you suggest that this murder was committed by someone connected to the fingerprint department at Scotland Yard? Hardly, but someone has had access to the forms. There has been leakage somewhere. When we arrived at the little detached house in which the murdered man had lived, the door was opened by an elderly woman, and our friend, Superintendent Miller, greeted us in the hall. We're all ready for you, doctor, said he. Of course the things have all been gone over since, but we're turning them out more thoroughly now led the way into the small, barely-furnished office in which the tragedy had occurred. A dark stain on the carpet, and a square hole in one of the window panes furnished memorials of the crime, which were supplemented by an odd assortment of objects laid out on the newspaper-covered table. These included silver teaspoons, watches, various articles of jewellery from which the stones had been removed, none of them of any considerable value, and a roughly made jemmy i don't see why caldwell should have kept all these odds and ends said the detective superintendent there is stuff here that i can identify from six different burglaries and not a conviction among the six thorndyke looked over the collection with languid interest he was evidently disappointed at finding the room so completely turned out have you any idea what has been taken he asked not the least we don't even know if the safe was opened keys were on the writing-table so i suppose he went for everything now i don't see why he left these things if he did we found them all in the safe have you powdered the jemmy the superintendent turned very red. Yes, he growled, but some half-dozen blithering idiots had handled the thing before I saw it. I've been trying it on the window, the blighters. So, of course, I showed nothing but the marks of their beastly paws. The window had not really been forced, I suppose, said Thorndyke. Nah, replied Miller, with a glance of surprise at my colleague. That was a plant. So are the footprints. He must have put on a pair of Caldwell's boots and gone out and made them. Unless Caldwell made them himself, which isn't likely. He found any letter or telegram a letter making an appointment for nine o'clock on the night of the murder no signature or address and the handwriting evidently disguised is there anything that furnishes any sort of clue yes sir there is Is this which we found in the safe he produced a small parcel which he proceeded to unfasten looking somewhat queerly at Thorndyke the while it contained various odds and ends of jewellery and a smaller parcel formed of a pocket-handkerchief tied with tape this the detective also unfastened revealing half a dozen silver teaspoons all engraved with the same crest two salt cellars and a gold locket bearing a monogram there was also a half-sheet of note paper on which was written in a manifestly disguised hand there are the goods i told you about f b but what riveted thorndyke's attention and mine was the handkerchief itself which was not a very clean one and was sullied by one or two small bloodstains it was marked in one corner with the name F. Belfield, legibly printed in marking ink with a rubber stamp. Thorndyke and the superintendent looked at one another and both smiled. Oh, I know what you're thinking, sir, said the latter. I'm sure you do, was the reply, and it is useless to pretend that you don't agree with me. Well, sir, said Miller doggedly, if that handkerchief has been put there as a plant, it's Belfield's business to prove it. You see, doctor, he added persuasively, it isn't a job only that's affected. Those spoons, those salt cellies, and that locket a part of the proceeds of the winsmore real burglary and we want the gentleman who did that crack we want him very badly no doubt you do replied thorndyke but this handkerchief won't help you a sharp counsel mr anstey for instance would demolish it in five minutes i assure you mellow that handkerchief has no evidential value or whatever whereas it might prove an invaluable instrument of research the best thing you can do is to hand it over to me and let me see what i can learn from it the superintendent was obviously dissatisfied but he eventually agreed with manifest reluctance to thorndyke's suggestion very well doctor he said you shall have it for a day or two you want the spoons and things as well no only the handkerchief and the paper that was in it the two articles were accordingly handed to him and deposited in a tin box which he usually carried in his pocket and after a few more words with a disconsolate detective we took our departure a very disappointing morning was thorndyke's comment as we walked away of course the room ought to have been examined by an expert before anything was moved have you picked up anything in the way of information i asked very little except confirmation of my original theory you see this man colwell was a receiver and evidently a police spy he gave useful information to the police and they in return refrained from inconvenient inquiries but a spy or a Nark, is nearly always a blackmailer too and the probabilities in this case are that some crook on whom caldwell was putting the screw rather too tightly made an appointment for a meeting when the house was empty and just knocked caldwell on the head the crime was evidently planned beforehand and the murderer came prepared to kill several birds with one stone thus he brought with him the stamps to make the sham fingerprints on the window and i have no doubt that he also brought the handkerchief and the various oddments of plate and jewellery from those burglaries that miller is so keen about and planted them in the safe You noticed i suppose that none of the things were of any value but all were capable of easy identification yes i noticed that his object evidently was to put those burglaries as well as the murder on to poor belfield exactly and you see what miller's attitude is belfield is the bird in the hand whereas the other man if there is another is still in the bush so belfield is to be followed up and a conviction obtained if possible if he is innocent that is his affair and it is for him to prove it and what shall you do next i asked I shall telegraph to Bellfield to come and see us this evening. He may be able to tell us something about this handkerchief that, with the clue we already have, may put us on the right track. What time is your consultation? 12:30, and here comes my bus. I shall be in to lunch. I sprang into the footboard, and as I took my seat on the roof and looked back at my friend, striding along with an easy swing, I knew that he was deep in thought, though automatically attentive to all that was happening. My consultation it was a lunacy case of some importance was over in time to allow of my return to our chambers punctually at the luncheon hour and as i entered i was at once struck by something new in thorndyke's manner, a certain elation and gaiety which i had learned to associate with a point scored successfully in some intricate and puzzling case he made no confidences however and seemed in fact inclined to put away for a time all his professional cares and business shall we have an afternoon off jervis he said gaily. it is a fine day and work is slack just now what say you to the zoo they have a splendid chimpanzee and several specimens of that remarkable fish shall we go by all means i replied and we will mount the elephant if you like and throw buns to the grizzly bear and generally renew our youth like the eagle and when an hour later we found ourselves in the gardens, I began to suspect my friend of some ulterior purpose in this holiday jaunt, for it was not the chimpanzee or even the wonderful fish that had attracted his attention. On the contrary, he hung about the vicinity of the llamas and camels in a way that could not fail to notice, and even there it appeared to be the sheds and houses rather than the animals themselves that interested him. Behold Jervis he said presently, as a saddled camel of seedy aspect was led towards its house. Behold the ship of the desert with raised saloon-deck amidships fitted internally with water-tight compartments and displaying the effects of rheumatoid arthritis in his starboard hip joint let us go and examine him before he hauls into a dock we took a cross-path to intercept the camel on its way to its residence and thorndyke moralized as we went it is interesting he remarked to note the way in which these specialized animals such as the horse the reindeer and the camel have been appropriated by man And their special character made to subserve human needs. Think, for instance, of the part the camel has played in history, in ancient commerce, and modern too, for that matter, and in the diffusion of culture, and of the role he has enacted in war and conquest from the Egyptian campaign of Cambyses down to that of Kitchener. Yes, the camel is a very remarkable animal, though it must be admitted that this particular specimen is a scary looking beast. The camel seemed to be sensible of these disparaging remarks as it approached it saluted thorndyke with a supercilious grin and then turned away its head your child is not as young as he used to be thorndyke observed to the man who was leading the animal nah so he isn't he's getting old nessa fat he shows it too i suppose said thorndyke strolling towards the house by the man's side these beasts require a deal of attention Yeah, white right, sir and nasty tempered brutes they are so i have heard but they are interesting creatures the camels and llamas "'Do you happen to know if complete sets of photographs of them are to be had here?' "'You can get a good many at the lodge, sir,' the man replied. "'But not all, I think. "'If you want a complete set, there's one of our men in the camel house that could let you have them. "'He takes the photos himself, and very clever he is at it too. "'But he isn't here just now.' "'Perhaps you could give me his name so that I could write to him,' said Thorndyke. "'Yes, sir. His name is Woodthorpe. "'Joseph Woodthorpe. He'll do anything for you to order. "'Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, sir.' and pocketing an unexpected tip the man led his charge towards its lair thorndyke's absorbing interest in the camelidae seemed now suddenly to become extinct and he suffered me to lead him to any part of the gardens that attracted me showing an imperial interest in all the inmates from the insects to the elephants and enjoying his holiday if it was one with the gaiety and high spirits of a schoolboy yet he never let slip a chance of picking up a stray hair or feather but gathered up each with care wrapped it in its separate paper on which was written its description and deposited it in his tin collecting-box you never knew he remarked as we turned away from the ostrich enclosure when a specimen for comparison may be of vital importance here for instance is a small feather of a cassowary and here the hair of a wapiti deer now the recognition of either of those might in certain circumstances lead to the detection of a crime or save the life of an innocent man the thing has happened repeatedly and it may happen again tomorrow you must have an enormous collection of hairs in your cabinet i remarked as we walked home i have he replied probably the largest in the world and as to other microscopical objects of medico-legal interest such as dust and mud from different localities and from special industries and manufactures fibres food products and drugs my collection is certainly unique and you have found your collection useful in your work i asked constantly over and over again i have obtained by reference to my specimens the most unexpected evidence and the longer i practice the more i become convinced that the microscope is the sheet anchor of the medical jurist by the way i said you spoke of sending out a telegram to belfield did you send it yes i asked him to come to see me tonight at half-past eight and if possible bring his wife with him i want to get to the bottom of that handkerchief mystery But you think he will tell you the truth about it it is impossible to judge he would be a fool if he does not but i think he will he has a godly fear of me and my methods as soon as our dinner was finished and cleared away Thorndyke produced the collecting box from his pocket and began to sort out the day's catch giving explicit directions to Porton for the disposal of each specimen the hairs and small feathers were to be mounted as microscopic objects while the larger feathers were to be placed each in its separate labelled envelope in its appropriate box while these directions were being given i stood by the window absently gazing out as i listened gathering many a useful hint in the technique of preparation and preservation and filled with admiration and like at my colleague's exhaustive knowledge of practical detail and the perfect manner in which he had trained his assistant suddenly i started for a well-known figure was crossing from crown office row and evidently bearing down on our chambers my word thorndyke i exclaimed here's a pretty mess what is the matter he asked looking up anxiously superintendent miller heading straight for our doorway and it is now twenty minutes past eight thorndyke laughed it will be a quaint position he remarked and somewhat of a shock for belfield but it really doesn't matter in fact i think on the whole i'm rather pleased that he should have come the superintendent's brisk knock was heard a few moments later when he was admitted by polton he entered and looked around the room a little sheepishly i'm ashamed to have come worrying for you like this sir he began apologetically not at all replied thorndyke serenely slipping the cassowary's feather into an envelope and writing the name date and locality on the outside i'm your servant in this case you know Parton, whiskey and soda for the superintendent you say sir continued miller our people are beginning to fuss about this case and i don't approve of my having handed that handkerchief and the paper over to you As they will have to be put into evidence, I thought they might object," remarked Thorndyke. "So did I, sir, and they do. And in short, they say that I have got to get them back at once. I hope it won't put you out, sir. Not in the least," said Thorndyke. "I have asked Bellfield to come here tonight. I expect him in a few minutes, and when I have heard what he has to say, I shall have no further use for the handkerchief. Not going to show it to him!" exclaimed the detective, aghast. "Certainly, I am. You mustn't do that, sir. I can't sanction it. I can't indeed. Now look you here, Miller." Thorndyke shaking his forefinger at the officer, "I am working for you in this case, as I have told you. Leave the matter in my hands. Don't raise silly objections. And when you leave here tonight, you will take with you not only the handkerchief and the paper, but probably also the name and address of the man who committed this murder and those various burglaries that you're so keen about." Is that really so, sir?" exclaimed the astonished detective. "Well, you haven't let the grass grow under your feet." Ah, as a gentle rap at the door was heard, "Is Belfield?" I suppose. It was Belfield, accompanied by his wife, and mightily disturbed they were when their eyes lighted on our visitor. You needn't be afraid of me, Belfield," said Miller with ferocious geniality. "I am not here after you, which was not literally true, though it served to reassure the affrighted ex-convict." The superintendent dropped in by chance," said Thorndyke. "But it is just as well that he should hear what passes. I want you to look at this handkerchief and tell me if it is yours. Don't be afraid, but just tell us the simple truth." He took the handkerchief out of a drawer and spread it on the table, and I now observed that a small square had been cut out of one of the bloodstains. Belfield took the handkerchief in his trembling hands, and as his eyes fell on the stamped name in the corner, he turned deadly pale. It looks like mine, he said huskily. What you say Liz, he added, passing it to his wife. Mrs. Belfield examined first the name and then the hem. It's yours right enough, Frank, said she. It's the one that got changed in the wash. You see, sir? she continued addressing thorndyke i bought him half a dozen new ones about six months ago and got a rubber stamp made and marked them all well one day when i was looking over his things i noticed that one of his handkerchiefs had got no mark on it i spoke to the laundress about it but she couldn't explain it so as the right one never came back i marked the one that we got in exchange how long ago was that asked thorndyke about two months ago i noticed it and you know nothing more about it nothing whatever sir nor you, Frank. To you, her husband shook his head gloomily, and Thorndyke replaced the handkerchief in the drawer. And now, said he, I am going to ask you a question on another subject. When you were at Holloway, there was a warder or assistant warder there named Woodthorpe. Do you remember him? Yes, sir. Very well indeed. In fact, it was him that I knew. Interrupted Thorndyke. Have you seen him since you left Holloway? Yes, sir. Once. It was lastly to Monday. I met him at the zoo. He is a caper there now in the camel house a sudden light dawned upon me and i chuckled aloud to belfield's great astonishment he gave my little boy a ride on one of the camels and made himself very pleasant do you remember anything else happening Thorndyke inquired yes uh, the camel had a little accident he kicked out he was an ill-tempered beast and his leg had a post there happened to be a nail sticking out from that post and it tore up a little flap of skin then woodthorpe got out his handkerchief to tie up the wound I said it was none of the cleanest. I said to him, Don't use that woodthorpe, have mine, which was quite a clean one. I took it and bound up the camel's leg. And he said to me, I'll have it washed and send it to you if you give me your address. But I told them there was no need for that. I should be passing the camel house on my way out, and I, w- I would look in for the handkerchief. And-, and I did. I looked in about an hour later, and Woodthorpe gave me my handkerchief folded up, but not washed. Did you examine it to see if it was yours? asked Thorndyke. No, sir. I just stepped it into my pocket as it was and what became of it afterwards when i got home i dropped it into the dirty linen basket is it all you know about it yes sir that is all i know very well belfield that'll do now you have no reason to be uneasy you'll soon know all about the camberwell murder that is if you read the papers the ex-convict and his wife were obviously relieved by this assurance and departed in quite good spirits when they were gone thorndyke produced the handkerchief and the half-sheet of paper and handed them to the superintendent remarking this is highly satisfactory Miller." the whole case seems to join up very neatly indeed two months ago the wife first noticed the substituted handkerchief and last easter monday a little over two months ago this very significant incident took place in the zoological gardens it's all very well sir objected the superintendent but we've only their word for it you know not so replied thorndyke we have excellent corroborative evidence you notice that i cut a small piece out of the blood-stained portion of the handkerchief yes i saw you had done it our people won't like that well here it is and we will ask dr jervis to give us his opinion of it from the drawer in which the handkerchief had been hidden he brought forth a microscope slide and setting the microscope on the table laid the slide on the stage now jervis he said tell us what you see there i examined the edge of the little square of fabric which had been mounted in a fluid reagent with a high-power objective and was for a time a little puzzled by the appearance of the blood that adhered to it it looks like bird's blood i said presently with some hesitation but yet i can make out no nuclei i looked again and then suddenly by jove i exclaimed i have it of course it's the blood of a camel is that so doctor demanded the detective leaning forward in his excitement that is so replied thorndyke i discovered it after i came home this morning you see he explained it is quite unmistakable the rule is that the blood corpuscles of mammals are circular The no one exception is the camel family in which the corpuscles are elliptical Wah exclaimed miller that seems to kennett thought with this camberwell job it connects him with it very conclusively," said Thorndyke. "You are forgetting the fingerprints." The detective looked puzzled. "What about them?" he said. "They are made with stamps. Two stamps, as a matter of fact, and those stamps are made by photographic process from the official fingerprint form. I can prove that beyond all doubt." "Well, I suppose they were. What then?" Thorndyke opened a drawer and took out a photograph, which he handed to Miller. "Here," he said, "is the photograph of the official fingerprint form which you were kind enough to bring me." what does it say at the bottom then and he pointed with his finger the superintendent read aloud impressions taken by joseph woodthorpe rank walder prison holloway he stared at the photograph for a moment and then exclaimed well i'm hanged you have worked out this neatly doctor and so quick too we'll have mr woodthorpe under lock and key the first thing to-morrow morning but how did he do it do you think he might have taken duplicate finger-prints and kept one form the prisoners would not know there was anything wrong but he did not in this case he must have contrived to take a photograph of the form before sending it in it would take a skilful photographer only a minute or two with a suitable hand camera placed on a table at the proper distance from the wall and i have ascertained that he is a skilful photographer you will probably find the apparatus and the stamps too when you search his rooms well well you do give us some surprises doctor but i must be off now to see about this warrant good-night sir and many thanks for your help when the superintendent had gone we sat for a while looking at one another in silence at length Thorndyke spoke here is a case jervis he said which simple as it is teaches a most invaluable lesson a lesson which you should take very well to heart it is this the evidential value of any fact is an unknown quantity until the fact has been examined that seems a self-evident truth but like many other self-evident truths it is constantly overlooked in practice take this present case when i left caldwell's house this morning the facts in my possession were these one the man who murdered caldwell was directly or indirectly connected with the fingerprint department two he was almost certainly a skilled photographer three he probably committed the winchmore hill and the other burglaries for he was known to caldwell had had professional dealings with him and was probably being blackmailed this was all a very vague clue as you see there was the handkerchief planted as i had no doubt but could not prove the name stamped on it was bellfields but anyone can get a rubber stamp made then it was stained with blood as handkerchiefs often are that blood might or might not be human blood it did not seem to matter a straw whether it was or not nevertheless i said to myself if it is human or at least mammalian blood that is a fact and if it is not human blood that is also a fact i will have that fact and then i shall know what its value is i examined the stain when i reached home and behold it was camel's blood and immediately this insignificant fact swelled up into evidence of primary importance the rest was obvious i had seen woodthorpe's name on the form and i knew several other officials my business was to visit all places in London where there were camels, to give the names of all persons connected with them, and to ascertain if any among them was a photographer. Naturally, I went first to the zoo, and at the very first cast hooked Joseph Woodthorpe. Wherefore, I say again, never call any fact irrelevant until you have examined it. The remarkable evidence given above was not heard at the trial, nor did Thorndyke's name appear among the witnesses. For when the police searched Woodthorpe's rooms, so many incriminating articles were found, including a pair of Fingerprint stamps which exactly answered the Thorndyke's description of them, and a number of photographs of fingerprint forms, that his guilt was put beyond all doubt, and society was shortly after relieved of a very undesirable member. End of section 10. End of The Singing Bone or The Adventures of Dr. Thorndyke by R. Austin Freeman. Read by Edmund Bloxham in Cambridge, UK. To explore more, please visit edmundbloxham.com.